Welcome to the True Crime Truckers Podcast. This podcast deals with true crime and subjects such as rape, murder, and sexual assault. This podcast may not be suitable for younger listeners, so listener discretion is advised. celebrate our third Halloween special and I thought I'd do something a little bit different Uh, I am going to read off several um, scary stories for Halloween I know it's not true crime but it's my show and I can do whatever I want Uh, I took all of these stories from creepypasta.com so these are not my own original stories but I hope that you all enjoy them. Uh, this is kind of like a little tidbit and tied me over since uh, I'm taking a break from the show because of, uh, you know, my recent medical history. And uh, we'll be getting back into the show in the next month or two. Uh, but for right now, since Halloween is my favorite holiday, I uh, wanted to do something for all the listeners. And uh, this is what I came up with. So, if you want to, find yourself a comfortable spot to relax, uh, maybe next to a fire, and enjoy the next few stories. This first story is called The Boy in the Window, and it's by H. Jelani. She tried pulling herself back, but however hard she tried, however hard she pushed, She could not stop her feet dragging her towards the open window. She dug her heels into the wooden floor, feeling splinters coming off as her feet dragged her onward. Her hands caught the windowsill and the wind blew in her face, causing her hair to whip around. Her eyes widened with helplessness and terror, taking in the navy blue sky with its sad gray moon and uneven sprinkling of stars. She couldn't move her head, but she turned her pleading eyes to him as he stood beside her. Please, the words caught in her throat. Her voice choked with fear. He looked back intently into her eyes, that smile fixed on his lips as he tied the thick rope 
around the window ledge. It had all started three weeks ago. She had woken up to a sudden tapping at her window. Ignoring it, thinking it was the wind playing tricks, she went back to sleep. The light tapping at the window became deliberate knocking the next night. She sat shivering with fright in her bed, unable to move until the knocking ceased. However, the next morning, she was sure she had been imagining things. Her room was on the third floor with no trees or drain pipes outside to provide any access to unwelcoming intruders. It wasn't knocking anyway, she convinced herself. It must have been one of the many mysterious sounds that the night weaves into its lullaby. Two days passed. As she was sculpting downstairs in her studio, she heard the knock again. For a second, she froze with fright. Then she turned. Outside the window, hanging upside down, was a little boy. Only his head was visible through the glass, his face extremely pale, his hair dark, long, and dirty. He could have been a street urchin had it not been for his eyes. The eyes weren't human. They were round and slanted, with impossibly large irises. He gave her a mischievous smile and tapped at the window again, still upside down. Please, lady, he said, won't you let me in? She gasped and stumbled backwards, knocking her incomplete sculpture to the ground, throwing flecks of clay everywhere, for the child spoke in the voice of a man, a husky, sadistic tone. He started visiting her more and more often, knocking at the doors and the windows. No, she thought, don't let him in. Whatever you do, don't let him in. She would see him peeking from her windows whenever she woke up, until she started keeping the curtains drawn at all times and the windows locked. She ignored the knocking that continued, followed by his voice. Please, lady, won't you let me in? She started getting paranoid. It was with great inner turmoil that she left the house for work every day. For the most part, things appeared normal until that particular day. That day, she was already feeling slightly sick due to lack of sleep. Her coworker had suggested that she talk to someone, a therapist or a priest, maybe. Yes, she thought, I will today. Suddenly, someone knocked at her car window. She gasped, her pupils dilated in horror. It was a cop. She had been parked in front of a no parking sign. Swearing, she reared out, parked again, and rushed out to go to work. The cafe she worked at was a small glass-walled haven for all kinds of people, readers, lovers, and businessmen who wanted a cup of tea or coffee before they bustled back to their offices. It was an hour before she would get off. She was serving a table by the huge glass wall when a whisper reached her ears. Hey, lady, it said. Abruptly, she looked out the window, and there he stood, right in the middle of the road, with his black, slanting eyes and wicked smile. 
Without thinking, she rushed out to the sidewalk, and he was still there, right in the middle of the busy road with the traffic whizzing past him. I said please, didn't I? The boy whispered. I am a good boy, lady, came the man's voice from the little boy's throat. I said please. He stood twelve feet away, and still his voice sounded in her ears above the noise of the traffic, as clearly as if he was inside her own head. And then a bus sped over him. Just like that, passed right over the spot where he was standing. She screamed and ran right into traffic where he had been, but nothing was there. She went down on her knees on the hard gray road. A few passerby stopped to try and calm her as she sobbed. It took her a while to get back to her senses. She got into her car and sped off towards home as fast as she could. She rushed straight upstairs right into her bathroom and splashed herself with cold water. She looked at her face in the mirror, skull-like and gaunt now. What have you done to yourself, she asked. You're going insane, she thought. Don't let this happen. Don't lose your mind. She dried her face and turned into the bedroom. She was just inside the room when she stopped in her tracks. There he was sitting at the window ledge, his short skinny legs dangling inside. You left the window open, the husky voice purred. And then he walked to her side. He took her hand in his tiny cold one and started pulling her towards the window with surprising strength. Though she struggled, she could not fight him off. She watched him tying the rope to the ledge at one end and then the other into a noose. Please, she managed to croak out. I said please too, the sadistic voice crooned as he lovingly placed the noose around her neck. She felt her feet climb the window ledge and then she was standing on it. I am a good boy, the voice whispered in her ear. She felt his cold breath and putrid smell the smell of death. They would find a note in her room in her own handwriting, explaining how she was committing suicide because she was sick of life. She felt the hard ledge under her feet, the moonlight on her face, the wind in her hair, the last thing she would ever feel. A shadow fell from the third floor window of the house that night, and a voice snickered. I'm a good boy, lady. Okay, the second story is called Nobody Lives Here But You, and it's from Ashley Rose Wellman. About half a year ago, I moved into a new apartment downtown. It's hands down the most upscale place I've lived in. Rooftop access, a fitness center, a pool, huge windows with beautiful views of the city. This place had it all. My leasing agent said apartments in that building were going fast, and when I found one on the 11th floor in my price range, I signed a year-long lease immediately. And the building was wonderful. 
at first. I thought it was strange from the very beginning that I never seemed to see anyone taking advantage of the amazing amenities. There was never anyone in the pool, on the roof, or in the fitness center. I didn't mind, of course, as this meant that I had these things all to myself. I joked with my friends that I was starting to think no one lived in the building but me. While I enjoyed what seemed like private access to all the great things in my building, but still, after a few weeks, it went from slightly weird to definitely unnerving. There was never anyone in the hallways, in the lobby. This is a huge building, 12 floors, and probably hundreds of people, yet I never saw anyone. Just the doorman that worked in the lobby of the building. After a few weeks, I talked to the night doorman about the lack of people and how strange it all seemed to me. The doorman chuckled and said, Nobody lives here but you. What? I asked, unnerved. He laughed again. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Of course other people live here. The building's almost completely full. Then why don't I see anyone? Who knows? Maybe you're always walking around during quieter hours. I guess, I said. The building had to be less full than he implied. Maybe just pretend to be near capacity to drive the prices up. Either way, it seemed like something shady was going on. But I tried to ignore all that and enjoyed taking my friends for uninterrupted swims or private evening stargazing on the roof. Everything started to feel normal again and I started to feel lucky that I had these things all to myself, but that feeling didn't last for long. One night, my friend Brian came over for drinks, and when I opened the door, I was shocked. I had never seen him like this before. All the color had drained from his face, and he was visibly shaking. What's wrong? I asked. The number. Your apartment number. I... I, I got it wrong. I got your apartment number wrong. I went to the 10th floor instead of the 11th. I went to apartment 1030, not 1130. I, I went to apartment 1030, he sputtered. What? Brian, that's fine. I don't care. Now you know I'm on the 11th floor. He grabbed my arm and said, no, no, you don't understand. Someone lives in 1030 and she looked, she looked exactly like you. I laughed. Oh, maybe I have a secret twin. Awesome. No, he said. She, she looked exactly like you. I can't tell you how much she, and she sounded like you. We were talking. I, I thought it was you. I, I walked into her apartment. She was talking to me like she knew me. I started looking around her apartment. Everything was different. Everything was out of place. Everything was stranger. I, I don't know. I can't describe it. She looked like you. She looked exactly like you. I got chills. You, you thought she looked like me enough to go into her apartment and talk to her? And she talked to me like she knew me. It wasn't until I looked down at my phone and saw that you had texted me 11.30 instead of 10.30. Jesus, I just bolted out the door and I didn't go back. I ran up a flight of stairs to get here and 
and she looked like you, she sounded like you, and she's right below us right now. I think maybe we should go down there. Are you insane? I am not going down there. You shouldn't go down there either. I think we need to, Brian. We, I don't want to go down there, and I want to stop talking about this. The rest of the evening, I kept trying to steer the conversation back in that direction, but Brian refused. Even after a drink or two, he still hadn't calmed down, and he ended up leaving early, still very shaken up. As he left through the lobby of my building, he turned back to me, looked me dead in the eye, and said, Don't go down to 1030. I know you're curious, but do not go down there. Don't go down there. Don't. Despite his dire warning, I had to know. I had to. I got back in the elevator and pressed the button for the 11th floor. As the elevator slowly passed the 8th floor, I pressed the large illuminated 10 and the elevator creaked to a stop on the 10th floor. As I got out of the elevator, I already felt the air shift. It was much colder on this floor and darker, but otherwise it was almost identical to the 11th floor. I walked the route I'd taken so many times to my own door, only on this odd darkened floor it felt like looking at a copy of a copy of a copy. The similarities were there, but it was murkier, blurrier, and distorted. I arrived at 10.30, and suddenly the distinct feeling that I should not knock. I knew I shouldn't. I, I knew it was a bad idea. I knocked. I heard footsteps approach the door and a hand starting to turn the handle. Then, in what I can only assume was whatever was behind the door looking through the peephole at me, the handle stopped turning. I heard the sound of the door locking and deadbolting, and footsteps moving quickly in the other direction. I knocked again. Nothing. Whatever was in there was willing to open the door until it saw me. I took the stairs back to the 11th floor. I would try again tomorrow. The next evening, I walked back down again. The lights in the hallway flickered. I felt like the floor was getting darker by the second. I knocked on 1030's door. The same exact thing happened. Footsteps approached the door. The handle started to turn, then immediately stopped and the door was locked. I started knocking louder. Excuse me, I said loudly. Can I speak to you for a minute? I just want to speak to you. Hey, open the door. Open the door. There was a full minute of silence. Then the footsteps approached the door again. And in a loud, clear voice, identical to how recordings of my own voice sounds, spoke the words, Nobody lives here but you. The figure, whoever it was, whatever it was, retreated from the door. I walked back to my own apartment, probably looking as shaken up as Brian looked the night before. I knew I had to find out who lived in that apartment. I took the elevator downstairs and walked up to the night doorman. Too frantic for pleasantries, I asked him, who lives in apartment 1030? He paused for a few seconds. I thought you did. I'm in 1130. Who's in 1030? I, I thought it was you. Can you look up who lives there? I need to know their name. 
I'm sorry, ma'am. That would be a breach of privacy protocol. I can't do that. I need to know who lives there, I said, raising my voice. There's nothing I can do. I went back to my apartment. I had to form some kind of a plan, some kind of a way to find out who lived in that apartment. That night, I dreamed I was walking down the 10th floor hallway, every door wide open, exposing the skeletal emptiness of the building. Every door wide open, every door except 1030. I tried the handle, locked. I got down on the ground trying to look through the crack between the door and the floor. My eyes focused in on the inside of the apartment and I, I, I woke up screaming. I called in sick the next morning. I had to know it was eating me alive inside. I had to know who lived in 1030. I sat in the hallway just outside of the view of the peephole in 1030's door. I was off work anyway. This is how I would spend my day. They had to come out sometime. It got later and later and later. It was past midnight. They hadn't left or returned all day. They had to. Soon. They had to. Night crashed into morning. Morning became afternoon. Afternoon became night. And before I knew it, 48 hours had passed. I hadn't eaten. I hadn't slept. I had to know. When I realized I'd been there for two full days, something inside me snapped. I stalked up to 1030's door and started banging the door endlessly with my fists. Let me in! Let me in! Let me in! I'm not going to leave until you open this door. I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to leave. Open this door. Open this door right now. This continued until my fists were red and raw but I'd keep knocking until my hands were scraped down to bone if I had to. I had to know. I had to know. After about 15 minutes of this, I heard footsteps approach the door. One lock clicked open. The other lock clicked open. The door slowly opened, revealing a man in his 70s or 80s. What are you doing, trying to break into my home? He asked, bewildered. The woman. Who is the woman that lives here? Woman? There's a woman who lives here. She looks exactly like me. My friend mistook her for me, and she sounds like me. I heard it with my own voice. She spoke to me. She spoke to me through the door. Where is the woman that lives here? I live alone, said the old man. I, I haven't had a woman in this apartment for two years. There is no woman in the apartment. There was, three days ago. My friend saw her. I heard her. Who is she? I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know what you're talking about. Nobody lives here but me. Nobody lives there but him. I had no choice but to go back to my own apartment. I kept my eyes on the 10th floor for months. I confirmed with Brian a million times. It was his apartment, 1030. It was apartment 1030. He ran up the stairs one flight from the apartment, 10.30. She has to be right below me. She had to be. I tried to forget apartment 10.30. I tried to imagine I'd never been there. After a while, the thoughts became less and less frequent. Then they disappeared altogether. 
Even when I'd look at the 10 button on the elevator, I wasn't filled with the pure liquid dread that I'd felt months before. It was a misunderstanding, just a misunderstanding. One night, my friend Chelsea came to my door and we were going to spend a little time in my apartment before we went out of town. She was pale, shaking. Your, your apartment. I thought I had the wrong number. I went to the wrong apartment and I, I, this woman, she, she, my stomach dropped. She looked like you, sounded like you. She was talking to me like she knew me invited me in and I I thought it was you until I looked. I looked at the number on the door and it wasn't yours. I realized that you had said you were in 1130 and and you went to 1030, I asked, memories of dread backing up through my body. 1030, she asked? 1030, you, you went to apartment 1030. No, I, I went to apartment 1230. Okay, this next story is called I've Always Hated Dolls, and it is by Devin Hoover. Everyone has their fears, whether they're rational or irrational. Mine has always been dolls. Not all dolls, mainly, just the ones that are a bit too human. I think it's mainly the eyes that get to me. So I'm sure you can imagine, I was ecstatic to find out that I was the inheritor of my very own clown doll. It was a gift from my late great aunt. I'd met her maybe once or twice in my life. So why she left this, of all things, to me was beyond me. This doll was something straight from my nightmares. I mean, a doll was bad enough, but when you throw in the clown element as well, the doll's glass-like face was painted white, with red accents and markings over the eyes, mouth, and cheeks. The eyes themselves, however, were nothing but a black void. It has thick white hair jetting out of the sides and a round hat that almost resembles a cherry on top. Its outfit is essentially your typical clown attire. Like the face, it was a mixture of red and white. This doll is about the size of a toddler. In other words, way too big for me to feel comfortable anywhere near it. I would have given it away, but out of respect for my grandmother, I kept it. So naturally, its new home would be my closet. I placed it in the back on top of an old dresser that held clothes which no longer fit me. I thought that that would be that, and my life would go on as it always had. Unfortunately, that would not be the case. I'm not exactly a tidy person, so my clothes rarely made it back into my closet. As a result, I didn't have to see my clown friend for quite a while. It was a few weeks later before I finally went into my closet in the quest for a clean pair of jeans. There he was, sitting on the floor in front of the dresser. I assumed he must have fallen off the dresser somehow because I clearly remembered setting him on top. Those empty black eyes were too much for me, though. I grabbed my jeans quickly and left without bothering to put him back on top. I spent the rest of the day thinking about how that doll could have fallen off the dresser. So as a curious person, I decided to check out the closet when I returned home. 
The doll was there, of course, but it was back to its original position atop the dresser. I approached it and looked into those empty eyes. Nothing. As much as it creeped me out, it was just a doll, right? I must have just imagined seeing it on the floor. I live alone, so there's no way anyone else could be moving it. Regardless, I decided to stay clear of the closet as much as possible. A couple nights later, I was awoken to the sound of what seemed to be laughter, and it appeared to be coming from the closet. It was very faint, which is why I was a bit surprised it woke me. Generally, I'm a very heavy sleeper. For something like this to wake me was quite odd. The last thing I wanted to do was get into that closet, so I decided to attempt to wait it out. After about 30 seconds, I heard a loud thump, and then the laughter stopped. After turning on every light possible and arming myself with a kitchen knife, I decided it was time to check the closet. I slowly opened the door and... It was completely normal. Absolutely nothing was out of place. Even the doll was set upon his normal spot on top of the dresser. I picked up the doll and felt around to see if there was any sort of speech box, but there wasn't. With a loud sigh, I set the clown back down and left my closet. Perhaps I was finally losing it. Over the next couple days, I was on high alert. I began to notice small things here and there that had gone missing or were moved, most notably small bits of food that I swear I hadn't eaten. I relentlessly searched every nook and cranny of my small house, looking for any possible signs of vermin or other intruders, everywhere, that is, except the closet. Alas, my searches turned up nothing, further confirming my idea that I was in fact losing it. That was until a couple nights later, when the laughing returned. Only this time it wasn't just faint laughter. This was a booming cackle. The laugh seemed to reverberate through my whole house. I was petrified. I didn't dare move an inch from my bed. The laughing persisted and I began to hear loud banging noises coming from my closet, until suddenly its door swung open. A large, dark figure emerged and stormed out of my room. I heard it sprint through the house, opening my front door and leaving. As soon as this happened, the laughter stopped. After reminding myself to breathe, I was finally able to move from my bed and I approached the closet. What I found devastated me. My old dresser was no longer against the wall. Instead, it was now in the middle of my closet and where the dresser had been was a hole. A hole easily large enough for a human to fit behind, but small enough that you would never notice it if it was being covered up. Beside the hole was the doll, seated perfectly upright with one arm outstretched towards the hole. I didn't dare look into the hole, afraid of what I might find. Instead, I grabbed the doll and locked myself in my car as I called 911. The police later confirmed my suspicions of what had happened. Someone had been living in my home. Inside the hole was a pallet where the person had been sleeping, as well as a small amount of trash. Worst of all, the person had a small collection of pocket knives. 
They were probably not meant to be used as weapons, but it's still not exactly comforting thinking about it. Since that night, my clown friend has not left my room. He now has his own special perch on the table next to my bed. I'm still not a huge fan of dolls, but perhaps they aren't all so bad. Okay, this last story is called One Last Trick or Treat, and it's by L. Chan. It's that time of year again. I know how I'm going to be spending Halloween. Same way I have for the past two years. Slowly nursing a beer in the bar. Watching the glass sweat on that smooth wooden counter. Staring at it till it goes warm in my hand. I'm not there to get drunk. I'm there to escape. I never want to be alone at home over Halloween night again. I promised the deputy that I wouldn't talk about that night. The town didn't need it. Hell, even I deleted the video. But now, with Halloween around the corner, it all comes back. Well, small town law enforcement doesn't care too much about the internet. I live in a small house at the end of a lane. Another nondescript house down a row of its sisters, prefabricated mostly. Far enough off the beaten path to be cheap, not so far to be rural, but close, pretty damn close. I didn't expect many kids to call around trick-or-treating come Halloween. It's a long road and most children manage to fill their baskets long before they get to my place. Besides, I quite like the peace and quiet. Halloween used to be a good night to settle down and catch some of the classic horror movies on TV. I just kept a large couple of bags of candy around just in case some kids actually made it all the way down the lane. But mostly, it would be an evening all to myself. I can't remember what I was watching that night, probably because I'd been enjoying an after-dinner beer, and I may have gotten carried away, dozing off after one too many. I woke with a start. My beer had gone warm on the side table. My hand still curled around the can. I winced as I unwrapped my fingers. Something had woken me up. The TV droned on in the background, the senseless drivel of late-night programming flickering across the room. Maybe it was just some high school kids out after some Halloween party, out on the streets, making some noises that woke me up. I checked the time, past midnight. I was glad that I had invested in a little security for my house. Just the basics, really. A good camera to cover my front lawn. Motion-activated lights around the front and back. I was trying to make the tough decision on whether to clear up the mess right then and there, or just kick the can down the road till the next morning, when a loud rapping at the door shattered the silence. The can bounced off the floor, warm beer spraying across the bottom of my track pants. The shock left me too numb even to swear. I had just set the can back upright when the knocking sounded again. That arrhythmic rap increased, impatient. The tempo building as I stepped towards the door. I peered around the edge of the window. I saw nothing but my pale face in the glass. It was pitch dark outside. Why wasn't the light working? The knocking stopped. 
a tree branch perhaps, or something else tapping on the porch. The peephole glared at me, that little glass orb suddenly bulging with some half-promised horror. I swallowed, or I tried, my throat was dry, the warm beer on the floor suddenly inviting. It's nothing, I said out loud, hoping that the familiar echo of my voice off the walls would ground me somehow. I walked up to the door and peered out, only seeing the orange cones cast by the halogen streetlights a distance away. Nothing, I thought to myself, feeling childishly stupid. I sucked in a deep breath, feeling my lungs strain, then let the air stream out slowly, then another knock. I turned back around to face the door. My heart punched inside of my chest. It was a crazed dance playing counterpoint to the knocking. I wasn't surprised to see my hand shake as I reached for the doorknob. Our town was a safe one, far from the troubles of the big cities, or so we'd read in the papers. We had little more to fear in the night than seeing our trash strewn across the yard by the nimble fingers of raccoons. I threw the door open. The porch light winked on, suddenly blinding me. I blinked away the white spots from my vision. A pair of children stood on my porch. They must have been nine or ten. I couldn't see much more off them because they were in the classic Halloween getup. A simple sheet draped over each of them, a pair of holes cut out for them to see through. A pair of small baskets for candy broke the smooth lines of the sheets. The toes of the brand new dress shoes peeked out from under the sheets. A boy and a girl, I thought. Trick or treat! Such a common refrain. I'd expected the words, but not the delivery. They were but two figures in front of me, yet their voices seemed to come from a great distance away. Trick or treat! The pair spoke again. I felt a little discomforted at the distortion in their voices. More than a weird volume, their voices seemed to blend into each other's, with some strange harmonics at the play at the edges. It seemed almost as if though they were a choir of two, just there, speaking to me. Treat, I guess, I said. More than anything, I wanted those two away from my house. The whole situation felt wrong. The familiar veneer of the season concealing something deeper, something rotten. Like that small panic when biting into a fruit and feeling the lack of resistance, your teeth sinking into that soft mush instead of sweet flesh. For a moment I blazed the haze of alcohol and the dregs of sleep clouding my judgment, but adrenaline had swept those far away. My fear was true. I turned to the counter where I kept my keys and grabbed for the bag of candy. I had prepared for this occasion, I was half hoping that the two figures would be gone when I returned to the door, that they had been a figment of my imagination, perhaps a shadow of some dream brought on by cheap horror movies and cold pizza. I had no such luck, the pair hadn't moved an inch. They each raised their basket. There was already an assortment of candy there, they'd had a good day. A bit late for you guys to be out, isn't it? Where are your parents? The only answer I got was an impatient shaking of the basket. The rasp of candy wrappers rustling. I held out a handful of candy, ready to drop it and call it a night. 
I expected to see a small pale hand clutching at the handle of the basket. Instead, I saw the anemic matte sheen of plastic. The basket was draped off the plastic hand of some kind of store mannequin. I was more than thoroughly creeped out by the effective little trick. I shrugged. Maybe the voices were recorded. A little technology to bolster an otherwise traditional costume. I felt the fear melting away as I explained to myself in the head. Just some clever little children. Probably with the help of an adult. Smart, I thought. That certainly got me going for a while. Stay safe, I told them, dropping the last of the candy into the baskets. They didn't acknowledge me. They just stood still on the worn wooden boards of my porch. I shut the door on them. The window darkened and the light in the porch shut off. Odd. Maybe the motion detection stopped working. Some unbidden instinct told me to stay there and wait. I heard the unmistakable sound of footsteps on the porch as the two walked off. Still, the light stayed dark. My relief grew as the odd strangers left my property. Still, something didn't sit right. Something wasn't right. The light was working. It turned on when it detected me. It saw me. It didn't see the kids. The sensor was working. It was a state-of-the-art passive infrared detected motion by detecting changes in temperature, like a human body, like mine, but not the kids. Whatever was under those pristine white sheets wasn't warm at all. The realization washed over me, like an ice cube running down my spine. My breath came in short rasps. I had to see, I had to know. I could barely bring my hands to the curtain. They were shaking so bad, when I pinched the edge of the curtain between my thumb and finger, the curtain began to undulate wildly. I filled my lungs and peered out through the glass. They were still there, barely twenty yards away, doing nothing, just standing there motionless, facing the street. As I watched, they both swiveled their head in perfect tandem to affix two pairs of fathomless eye holes on the window. There was no way, there was no way they could have seen me come to the window. I had to put the back of my hand in my mouth and bite down hard to keep from calling out. They knew. They knew I was there. I backed away from the window, dragging my leaden feet over the carpeted floor. I barely noticed when my heel knocked the can back. The beer leaked out onto the carpet, leaving a widening patch in front of me. I couldn't believe the raw animal fear these two had summoned up in me. Every instinct had told me to run get help, anything but stay and be trapped in my house. What could I do? Call the police and tell them that I was scared of two little children trick-or-treating? Call one of my friends past midnight and ask them to come over like a little boy crawling up to his parents' room after a nightmare? The situation was so ridiculous. My mind told me that there had to be some rational explanation for everything. But I could not explain away the light, fluttery feeling in my stomach. I could not rationalize the prickly lump in the back of my throat. They'd only said three words to me, in those unearthly tones. Who knew how cold those lips were? I shut the door to the kitchen, the sound echoing through the empty house. 
I turned my chair to face the front door, and then I waited, white-knuckled, for the dawn to come. I must have fallen asleep sometime during that long, cold wait, not daring to move from my chair, paralyzed with fear that one of those shrouded children would appear at my window, or worse, yet behind me. But even that manic store of energy wore out as the night wound to a close. I was woken up by a polite knock on the front door. I sat bolt upright, nearly falling off my chair, stumbled to the door, a hint of dread from a few hours ago still lingering like a stale funk in the air. I checked the peephole again. This time I was confronted with a well-scrubbed face of one of our town deputies. We'd been to school together. It was the kind of smallish town where you'd know most everybody your age if they had a history there. He was an earnest man, tough but fair. Good morning, officer. Good morning, he replied. The sour look on his face told me that it was anything but that. His nose twitched as he took in the stale, sour smell of beer streaming off the floor in the morning sun. Had a good night last night? I thought back to the night before. No, I didn't. The lawman was quick to see the fleeting shadow of doubt wash across my face. He pressed home his advantage. You care to explain why you stole these two mannequins from the store, dressed them up, and put them on your lawn? He shifted to the side, and past his door-filling bulk, I saw those two familiar shapes on my lawn. My lungs wouldn't fill with air. They were still there. They'd been there the whole time. You okay, buddy? The big man leaned in, blocking my view and steadied my shoulder with one of his strong hands. I brushed his hand off and lurched out into the yard, mindless of the freezing dew on my bare feet. The pair stood there. The draped sheets joined in between them. They were holding hands. The two of them were holding hands. I brought my palm down gingerly on the head of the one nearest to me. Hard. I felt hard plastic. I whipped the sheet off with one smooth motion, gave a strangled cry as I stared into the empty green eyes of a child mannequin. I backed away, too quick, ended up on my ass in the cold grass, clawing and scrambling backwards until I bumped into the solid legs of the deputy behind me. He'd been quick to recognize my unease earlier. He was just as quick to realize genuine fear. He hoisted me back to my feet and helped me back into my house. Mind telling me what that was all about? He dumped me on the office chair in front of my computer. I tried, but I couldn't force the words out. The deputy sighed and settled onto the couch, wrinkling his nose at the empty beer cans on the side table. He leaned forward. First call of the morning after Halloween, and I'm chasing down some bullshit break-in into the store in the middle of town. Now I've got you hungover and scared shitless from a damn pair of dolls on your front yard. What I know is someone got into a store, smashed up the glass, stole sheets and a couple of mannequins. Bloody kids again, except the glass. The lines on his brow deepened. I watched his Adam apple bob up and down. The glass was on the outside of the shop only. Damnedest thing. You got a camera on your yard, don't you? I nodded numbly. What say you give me another ten minutes of your time, tops? We go through that footage. I see who put those things on your lawn. 
and I'll be out of your life, hopefully for good. I turned to face my computer and called up the stored videos on my hard drive. They were all transferred by Wi-Fi. Convenient. Just put on the double speed backwards. We'll see who set them there soon enough. I hit the reverse play key and up the speed. I saw the two scuttle from the house to the lawn and back again. Then the first rays of sunlight retreating from the grass, pulling back over a pair of figures until they were back in darkness. The two of them stood there motionless for the longest time. When the two figures moved all by themselves in a jerky swaying motion back from the lawn to my front door, the cursor danced a little jig in the corner of the screen as the shakes returned stronger than before. The sharp hiss behind me told me I wasn't alone in my discomfort. I shuddered as I watched myself on the screen, so close to the two abominations, giving them a handful of candy each. I slowed the recording back to normal speed. On screen I saw myself turn back into the house to retrieve the candy. The two figures stood there impassive. As one, they both fixed those dark eye holes on the sheet on the camera. There was something else unmistakable. There was a slight pulse in the sheet, a small undulation. The mannequins were breathing. I've seen enough. I turned to look at the deputy, his face as white as the sheets on the shrouded figures on the screen, his hand tight around the grip of his sidearm. That of all things scared me most of all, a symbol of law and order who had seen the worst of what our little community had to offer just as scared as I was and ready to pull a gun in my house. I clicked the window shut and got up. I wandered over to the cabinet, pulled out a pair of tumblers and a bottle of the good stuff. The bottle gave a couple of contented glugs as I sloshed the rich golden whiskey into the glasses. I set one down in front of the other man and took a sip from my glass. A lawman can lose his job drinking on duty. The deputy didn't hesitate when he emptied half his glass. He didn't look at me when he spoke. My old Nan wasn't from around here. She was back from the old country across the sea. She hated Halloween, said there were things out there that night that weren't meant to be seen in the light of day. One night a year, she told me, for one single night, some things were set loose. The candy and the costumes were a new thing. Back in the past, on All Hallows' Eve, good folks crossed themselves and prayed and stayed in. Whatever's on that recording, it's not what our town needs, you understand? Dumb high school kids, I said, the lie taking shape from my mouth. Fooling around, the lie fleshed out, took on a veneer of credibility that would be the explanation. No one had to know the dark kernel of that story. And your camera was having technical difficulties that night. Never was a good piece of equipment. Regretted buying it the same week. He stuck out his hand and we shook on it. And I have kept my word to now. There isn't a good reason why I broke my promise. I'd never know true fear till that night. But I replayed in my head over and over. The recording is long gone, of course. But every detail of that night has been branded on my mind. 
I remember the fear, but I cannot think of a single action of the two of them have done to threaten me. Eerie, unnatural, but without a drop of malice. It'll be Halloween soon. I know where I'll be on that dark night. Some things roam the streets that shouldn't be there. The masks and costumes aren't always for the children. Sometimes they're there for the adults. For our own protection. After the deputy left, I watched the video forwards just once. I remember seeing the two figures on my lawn, slowly inching their hands up, locking them under the sheets, and waiting for the sun to rise. Things that shouldn't be out on this good earth. But sometimes, just sometimes, they just want the simple things, like one last trick or treat. Okay, everybody. Well, I hope that you enjoyed this third Halloween special. And I hope that everybody has a safe and happy Halloween. And I will see you guys shortly with a new actual true crime case. So until then, happy Halloween and stay safe. As always, you can contact me at truecrimetruckerpodcast at gmail.com or join the Facebook group at True Crime Trucker Podcast Group. You can also join Age of Radio's Facebook group at Addicted to Podcasting. This is a group dedicated to the show hosts and fans of Age of Radio shows. You can also visit my website at www.ageofradio.org slash truecrimetruckers slash. There you can browse the bazaar where you can purchase items from our wonderful sponsors as well as browse other shows on the Age of Radio Syndicate. You can also find me on Instagram at michael.pritt81.